Are you looking for ways to attract and retain private pay clients? Thryzer is a payment platform for therapists built to help clients automatically tap into their out-of-network benefits and save on therapy up front. Check out our special link, join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist, and use the code modern therapists to activate $2,500 in free payments with Thryzer. Therapy notes, the number one trusted EHR among mental health professionals just keeps getting better and better. With legendary customer support 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're giving you all the tools you need to succeed, whether you're a solo clinician or a group practice. Try them free for two months using promo code MODERN today. You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. This is the podcast for therapists about the things that we do in our practices, the people that we serve, the ways that we can do better as mental health professionals. And we are joined by one of our therapy reimagined speakers that I think we missed first time around. We normally try to get everybody out on the podcast kind of around conference time to build up a lot of excitement. There was a little thing called the COVID pandemic that I think contributed to this, <laughs> but we are so lucky to have Sunny Jane Wise join us, known across a lot of social media as the lived experience educator and they are here to talk to us about neurodivergence and making things just more available to more people in the practices that we do. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to be here finally, but we also know <laughs> it was also my fault for not booking the podcast originally. Um, let's just chalk it down to COVID and ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> We, we don't have to assign blame here. We can just be like, here's what it is. So it's not blame. It's an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> no blame. No shame. We're excited to be here. And I am I am just so excited to have you, Sunny Jane. I loved your presentation during our conference. I am an avid follower of all of your social media and all the wonderful things you're putting out. And so I'm Excited to hear your answer to the first question that we have and give to everyone that we interview. Who are you and what are you putting out into the world? So who I am, I guess I would like say that I'm a non-binary and disabled and multiply neurodivergent advocate and speaker and writer. And what I'm putting out in the world is, I guess, a paradigm shift where we change how we view and understand neurodivergent people. So that's what I'm putting out in the world. <laughs> so we start a lot of our episodes with a question that is meant to help educate. There's been a lot of mistakes that mental health professionals have made in working with neurodivergent clients. We ask this to help people not make the same mistakes. But what do therapists usually get wrong about neurodivergent affirming care? I think a lot of people, what they get wrong about neurodivergent affirming care or neurodiversity affirming practice is that it is against medication. And I feel like that is something people get wrong, that when we talk about being neurodiversity affirming practice, people assume that's 
all about accommodating the individual and there's no, you're not allowed to suggest medication or you're not allowed to suggest, you know, things that help someone like in a sense that, you know, that falls out of the medical model. And so that's something that people get wrong. They assume neurodiversity affirming practice or neurodivergent affirming care is all about the social model of disability. But I like to think that there's kind of like a nice balance that we are allowed to, you know, take medication for our ADHD or our schizophrenia or epilepsy, for example, or OCD. You're allowed to choose to take medication for neurodivergence, but here's the catch. It's all about what individual chooses. And so that's where people go wrong. They assume that neurodiversity affirming practice or neurodivergent affirming care is all about moving away from medication whereas it's more like providing medication as an option, as a choice. It's about respecting that there are multiple ways to work with one's differences and we don't value one way over another way. If someone wants accommodations to work with their manic episodes, if they have bipolar and they experience manic episodes, sometimes they may choose medication. Whereas for someone else, they may be like, I do not want medication. So it's about recognizing that there are options and we respect how someone wants to work with their differences. And yeah, I think, I just think that's something people, you know, do get wrong about that because they assume that neurodiversity affirming practice is all about, we don't change an individual and medication changes an individual. So we can't recommend that, but that's not what neurodiversity affirming practice is about. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I like the idea of it really being dependent on the person, on how they want to deal with their differences, how they want to embrace or work with their differences or, yeah. or you know, kind of make things easier by potentially treating some of those differences. Yeah. It seems like that folks are really very adamant. And I think this is oftentimes when folks have been oppressed, have been forced to kind of fit within a norm there is a pushback. And I, I think that makes sense to push back against the medical model, against the status quo. And it sounds like you're kind of on the pendulum swing coming back saying, wait a second, we can use what's beneficial. We can choose to do that and still be. Yeah, we can push back against the status quo. We can push back against norms and expectations and also acknowledge that it is very contextual how you work with your differences. So for example, and I feel like this kind of um, will lead into one of your further questions. I, you know, as someone who with bipolar, who experiences manic episodes and as a white person, you know, it is less necessary for me to manage my manic episodes with medication because I don't experience as much discrimination, stigma, violence, threats, bullying as a black person who experiences manic episodes. And that's why it can be really contextual. And another example is with ADHD, someone who has to work a nine to five full-time job because they have a family to support, a mortgage to pay, they're going to need ADHD medication more in order to meet the demands of, you know, a full-time job versus someone like myself who doesn't work a full-time job. And so therefore, ADHD medication 
isn't as much as a necessity for me because I'm not having to meet those capitalist demands. And I think that's why, you know, context is so important with how we work with our differences and not just the context of our differences, but the context of our other identities and our other experiences, gender, sexuality, race, disability, socioeconomic status. That all plays a part in how we all choose to work with our differences. And so I think, you know, that's why we have to consider the context of people's experiences and people's choices. I love and we, we send our question list or our starting point list to our guests before each episode. And I am just trying to pick which one of the ones that comes <laughs> next to, to build off Intersectionality. of Intersectionality. Well, what you're talking about is also almost just kind of this premise of neuronormative practice that needs to be addressed right alongside this. Because mm-hmm. as I'm listening to you talk, and I work with a lot of neurodivergent clients, that it's even just kind of whose goals are assigned to therapy in the first place. And that needs to be addressed as a piece right alongside the intersectionality. No, absolutely. So I'm kind of like, you're leading into intersectionality, you're leading into neuronormative as a you know basis of practices in the first place. Like, keep on going. I'm just <laughs> listening. <laughs> yeah. Um, Like, no, you are right. Like, you know, there is so much neuronormativity within our therapy practices and not just our therapy practices, but, you know, our expectations and our goals and our standards. I mean, one of our, you know, biggest things that we encourage during therapy is independence. We see independence as the ultimate goal. You know, it's the sign that you've made it. Whereas, you know, that's a neuronormative expectation rooted in capitalism that we really need to reframe that for so many of us, we're not never going to be fully independent and that's okay. And I'd also, you know, beg to differ that no one is fully independent. All of us are interdependent in so many ways. Just going by the fact that, you know, some of us rely on childcare, on Ubers, on taxis, on public transport someone else cutting our hair or cooking our food or fixing our car. We all rely on people for support and to meet our needs. It's just that some needs, some dependencies have been normalized while others have been seen as like, you know, a burden or a sign of having a disorder. And so we really need to reframe our expectations around independence and you know, just recognize that some people will always, you know, need support. Someone will always need a carer. Someone will always need, you know, a support worker to help them with uh, certain tasks. And I think these are all things that we have to normalize and see as a diversity of like human experiences. And that's just one expectation that we can reframe because when we reframe that expectation, our therapy goals change, our approaches change. We're no longer focused on, you know, trying to change an individual into meeting these really high unfair expectations and instead meeting a person where they are and being realistic. Even in talking about independence as a a goal, it comes from individualistic societies, which is also where the medical model comes from. And it seems like it doesn't even address kind of the cultural norms that might be in each person's life, as well as whatever their individual needs are and where they would like to get. I think all of us have 
a different interaction with the world. And we kind of allow for it when we're more neuronormative you know, or neurotypical. Whereas I think there's that element of making these neurodivergent needs be disabled, disordered. I feel like it really opens it up. I, I really appreciate that answer. Thank you. <laughs> and that's why, yeah, intersectionality is so important because we can't apply Western norms onto every individual. We have to consider cultural norms. We have to consider how our expectations or assumptions do not match with the individual's, you know, norms or cultural expectations. We have to, yeah, like start seeing all of an individual rather than just one identity. Like if we have an autistic client in front of us, they're not just an autistic client. You know, they have so many other experiences and identities and we have to see all of that because all of that overlaps. I think, yeah, that's why intersectionality is so important when considering neurodiversity because they're all a part of the bigger picture and we have to see the whole picture. We can't just see one part of the picture because then we aren't considering the context of someone's experiences. We aren't considering what Western norms that we may be reinforcing when we don't see the whole picture as well with our goals or our strategies or recommendations that we provide. If they don't see the whole picture, they may not serve or support the individual. Thryzer is a payment platform designed for out-of-network therapy. As a therapist, you would use Thryzer to charge clients for sessions and collect your full rate up front. From the client's perspective, Thryzer links to their health plan, so insurance claims are automatically submitted for them upon every charge. From there, Thryzer manages the claims end-to-end -end so that your clients don't have to worry about manually submitting super bills or getting on calls with insurance. The best part? Thryzer allows clients to only pay their co-insurance portion for sessions, while Thryzer covers the rest of your fee and waits for reimbursement on their behalf. They also offer you an instant benefits calculator for free, allowing you to provide upfront transparency to prospective clients on their out-of-network coverage. Therapists only pay a standard 3% credit card processing fee per session with no additional fees. Visit join.thryzer.com forward slash modern therapist to get started and use our promo code modern therapists to receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. So I know a lot of our modern therapist listeners are at least embracing this idea of, you know, making their practices more accessible in a lot of the ways they're talking about. And I know that there's clinicians out there who don't, and we're not really concerned about them. They've got some catching up to do. But, you know, like one of the things that I hear is, you know, kind of the competing needs of what is good for the client might not be great for the parents' expectations, that there's kind of some competing needs that come up as far as where's the line between enabling behaviors and what is a healthy expression of what a client needs. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that. Yeah. Well, I think the key word there is expectations. So expectations aren't needs. So, you know, if a client's needs contradict a parent's expectations, needs trumps expectations. Needs are more important than someone's expectations. 
and I don't know if that sounds a bit blunt to say, but it's true. Um, <laughs> but and I think in that sense, that requires people adjusting their expectations, reframing their expectations, getting to the root of what they're expecting and why, and unpacking that. And that's why you know therapy f- often feels like such an individualistic, you know, approach because. It's all well and good to support a client and their needs, but unless the people around them change and reframe their expectations, you know, we're not really uh, doing much. (laughs) Um, And so that's why, you know, it does require people around us to challenge their expectations and challenge their norms. Because when we can reframe our expectations and get rid of our neuronormative norms, we actually start making room for people to be able to embrace their differences and function in a way that honours how they function. And I think that's why it's so important for people to reframe their expectations. Otherwise, we're not making room for people to be themselves, for lack of a better word. That makes a lot of sense. And I think there's this additional complexity that I'm wanting to to kind of dig further into. A lot of families, a lot of couples or partners or kind of folks that end up together living in family units, so to speak, or potentially even in group therapy or those types of things where it's not, here is the single neurodivergent identified patient and here are all the neurotypical people around them. It's There is a whole, you know, kind of rainbow of neurodivergence that happens within the family. And so there's competing needs from different types of neurodivergence. There's competing expectations because of, you know, all of us sitting in this neuronormative world. And so when it becomes more complex, what are your recommendations on how you kind of sort those things out, the competing needs of folks that have different types of neurodivergent needs or different moments in time? Because obviously that it's not like, oh, I always need this thing. Honestly, my best recommendation, and I feel like this is the only recommendation, get creative with problem solving. Communication, get creative with problem solving. Because I've like come up against this question a few times. One example was, you know, there was a couple that would hang out, you know, have movie nights, watch TV, do couple things. And one couple would stim in a way that produced sound. And the other person didn't like sound. So one person was fulfilling their need by stimming and the other person was getting overstimulated by the sound that the stimming was making. And so we had to explore like, okay, so how do both people get their needs met? And I, we ended up like coming up with the idea that if some one person needs to stim, they are welcome to stim. And the other person is allowed to honor their boundaries and needs by not having to listen to that shit. And so <laughs> what ended up happening was, you know, this person, whenever they were bothered by the stimming, either the person who is stimming, if they're happy to go into another room and do their thing, they can. And if the other person who doesn't like to sound wanted to leave the room, they can. And originally they were hesitant with that solution because the way they saw it, they're a couple, they're a partnership. So therefore they had to spend the evening together watching, you know, TV to be apart in their own separate rooms. That's like, couples don't do that. Couples don't have their own rooms. And so that was like kind of this norm, this expectation that they had to reframe that it is okay for them to have their own space. It is okay that even though like, you know, they were engaged or something, they didn't have to 
spend all their time together all the time. They were allowed to have their own lounge rooms. They were allowed to have their own bedrooms because of their competing needs. And so that's just like, you know, one like kind of creative solution that required a little bit of or getting creative and adjusting, you know, norms and expectations. Or they could have just worn uh, noise-canceling headphones. Um, <laughs> sure. But yeah. But they actually had to understand their needs, be able to express their needs, and get to a place where they were, I'm going to say wise mind, because I know we're going to go to DBT <laughs> pretty soon, but they had to get into wise mind to be able to have that conversation and not yeah. feel offended, not feel like they were you know, breaking these norms, they actually had to be able to get into that place of self-acceptance and other acceptance to really come to that. Yeah. And I, I like that. I like that idea because I, I think it's, it allows anything to be on the table. If we don't stick to neuronormative norms, everything is possible. Yeah. Anything goes. And I think, you know, that's why all of this awareness and discussion around neurodivergence is so important because in order to get to that solution in order to accommodate everyone's needs, we need to get talking about it. We need to identify our needs and be able to express them and get to the point where we recognize everyone's needs are valid and that we can find ways where people's needs and differences are respected and accommodated. Just how we get there might look a little different sometimes. Yeah. And as you were telling that story, I was like, oh, this is just like even neurotypical couples where they annoy each other and just need to find their own <laughs> needs. It's just a lot different path to get there. Honestly, more people need to have their own spaces in their house. <laughs> <laughs> so Katie's bringing up DBT. Sunny has written a wonderful book called The Neurodivergent Friendly Workbook of DBT Skills. And I've mentioned a few times on the podcast, my practice, we offer comprehensive DBT. We have some overlap with our neurodivergent clients. We've got a group that's working with them and going through our trainings with this, we kept coming up with kind of the traditional DBT people. And there's a lot of focus on DBT being a skills deficit learning sort of space. And in trying to make our practice more neurodivergent affirming, we're like, you know, there's maybe a conflict between these two ideologies here. And Glad to have an author of this book be able to say is these kinds of practices that look at things as being skills-based or as being skills deficits, are they inherently ableist? Are we just working against this whole neurodivergent thing ourselves? How do we make sense of this? Oh, see, oh, I love that question because there is no clear-cut answer. All right, so I've got two frames of mind, which they're in, in agreements with each other. The first thought that I have where uh, viewing DBT, for example, as a deficit-based, you know, type of therapy, in a way, yes, because what DBT and, you know, things like CBT assume is that the problem lies within the individual. And like that is, you know, a deficit understanding that, you know, the problem is with the individual. I mean, I think that's, you know, something that has to be addressed, which is why a lot of the DBT skills that I reframe uh, move away from viewing the individual as a problem and instead, you know, moves towards, hang on, how can we accommodate someone's differences and needs and adjust the environment? How can we, you know, focus on the environment and the external factors rather than the individual? 
And then the second thought that I have with that question is the way I see DBT is not inherently always a skills deficit, though DBT can be taught that way, but it's more so we have many of us who do find DBT helpful, find it helpful because we haven't been taught to regulate our emotions in a way that accommodates our differences. So as we know, you know, we learn emotional regulation growing up, you know, from our parents, from the people around us. It's a skill that, you know, we learn. But if our parents are unaware of for example, my autistic differences. So I experience alexithymia where I can't really identify or label or express my emotions. I also experience really low interoception. So I have trouble differentiating when I'm in pain versus when I'm upset. And I'm also ADHD. So my mind moves a hundred miles per minute. So if my parents aren't really aware of those differences, it means they really kind of can't help me emotionally regulate. So I grow up not knowing how to regulate my emotions because my differences weren't accommodated. And so that's where I see DBT skills being helpful if they recognize my differences, that DBT skills can help me learn to regulate my emotions because I never had that opportunity growing up because, you know, my parents weren't aware of my differences And so it's kind of like, you know, I'm a bit delayed in learning how to regulate my emotions, but everyone deserves that opportunity. And so DBT skills can be helpful if they recognize our differences and these DBT skills approach it from, hey, how do you regulate your emotions? Let's figure this out. Rather than you don't know how to regulate your emotions, you need to learn this. It's about giving people the opportunity to find ways to work with their differences. But obviously that requires reframing a lot of DBT skills to have that outcome. Does that make sense? I always give credit when people who are much more experienced in these areas affirm things that we have already stumbled into in doing things ourselves. And so glad to know that we've been <laughs> working on this in the in the way that you're describing it. And That's just really kind of like, all right, this is not a one size fits all sorts of thing. And there are going to be people who really gravitate towards one thing and really don't need some of the other skills. We definitely kind of take a lot of our, here's options. We're going to go through them all. We're going to go through and teach the modules. But really, this is more of a, if it's healthy and adaptable and it works and we're open to things that might need to be shaped and worked for one client over another, this is definitely all helpful. Yeah. And and that's what it comes down to options, options and flexibility and moving away from making assumptions and placing expectations on individuals. It's just about, yeah, like letting go of knowing what's right and letting go of the one-size-fits-all approach and moving towards options. Not only does Therapy Notes combine billing, scheduling, notes, secure messaging, group telehealth, and more into one streamlined platform, they're also always adding new features and forms to their library. So no matter your specialty, Therapy Notes has you covered. Learn more at therapynotes.com and use promo code MODERN for two months free. 
You mentioned, and I think this is part of the options conversation, but you mentioned kind of working with differences. And so I'd love to hear what you mean by that, because I think that's something I'm starting to hear in my practice with neurodivergent clients that I have is working with your differences versus working against your differences. Can you speak a little bit to that? So a lot of that comes down to recognizing differences and not forcing someone to go against them or change them. So a good example could be mindfulness. So traditionally, especially within DBT, mindfulness is taught as a skill where, you know, you're supposed to sit still and think about your thoughts or think about a leaf floating along a river. Whereas (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, that just sounds really hard to do. (laughs) It does. And so we, that's like, you know, that's a mindfulness skill, but If we were to work with differences, we would recognize that some people have, uh, I can't can't remember how to pronounce it, um, aphantasia, where they don't see images in their minds. So therefore, watching a leaf floating along a river in their mind, that's not working with their differences. Someone else may experience, you know, need more proprioceptive input, or they may need more movement in order to, you know, practice mindfulness. So working with differences means, oh, hey, you achieve mindfulness more when you're able to move. So what does that look like? Or someone else, you know, may find that they achieve mindfulness more because they have a like super fast, hyperactive mind that they need, uh, may achieve mindfulness. That looks like having a fast mind, but still like, you know, experiencing mindfulness. So it's about just recognizing that what something looks like for someone else looks different for another person. When we work with someone's differences, we incorporate the differences and include them rather than fight against them. And a lot of this is, especially for those who are maybe in need of support from family members, other loved ones, and that kind of stuff is also being able to help incorporate hey, here's how we can support this in the environment. Here's how we can further extend this and shape things at home that really end up making this more of, we're not here to fix things. We're here to build spaces to be able to thrive and hopefully be able to give some skills along the way that makes this a win-win as best as possible for everybody. Yeah. And I think that's why acknowledging neurodiversity is so important Because when we start seeing these differences as valid differences, we move away from trying to fix them. We move away from expecting individuals to just get over it or, you know, we move away from parents and professionals seeing these differences as something that can be easily changed. And when we see these differences as differences, then we start working with them because we can recognize that, hey, you know, these differences aren't going anywhere. So let's start working with them. And I think that's why, you know, a paradigm shift towards neurodiversity is so important because it is going to impact how we view differences and therefore how we work with them. How do you think the paradigm shift looks in reality? Like if we were to get there, what would it look like? If we were to get there, I would see us having a needs-based system where people's needs are met regardless of a diagnosis, where people have access to AAC, alternative communication, and they don't need a diagnosis to use AAC, where people 
can, you know, receive accommodations without needing a diagnosis because we live in a society that recognizes everyone is different and everyone has different needs and everyone deserves to have their needs met. We move away from a, you know, medical system where the only way you receive support or services or accommodations is if you're labeled as having a disorder. We would move away from that and into a society where people's needs are met just because that's human decency. And I guess as well, we'd live in a world where we don't have neuronormative expectations and standards, but honestly, um, I can't even picture what that looks like <laughs> because it's our, it's our reality right now. And But a needs-based system uh, would be really awesome. <laughs> Where can people find you and all of the wonderful work that you're doing? Instagram, mainly. I'm the lived experience educator on Instagram as well as Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn under Sunny Jane Wise. And other than that, I try to keep all my resources and that on my website, which again, lifedexperienceeducator.com. Tell us a little bit about the book that you put out and any other things that people can access directly to get a little bit of. Well, obviously I've got the neurodivergent friendly workbook with DBT skills. And yes, I do regret the really long name. Um, available <laughs> on, <laughs> that's available on Amazon. You can also get a digital copy off my website. But in November this year, I'm publishing a new book called We're All Neurodiverse. And that's a book that dives into neurodiversity, neurodivergence, the neurodiversity paradigm. And it also dives into neuronormativity and unpacks neuronormative expectations and norms that are riddled throughout society. So it's going to be a really cool book. Oh, I can't wait to read it. And we will include links to all of that in our show notes over at mtsgpodcast.com and follow us on our social media, join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist Group, and let us know about anything else that we should be considering. We're open to all ideas, whether it's about this topic or anything else. And until next time, I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy and Sunny Jane Wise. Remember to check out Thryzer. They are passionate about making out-of-network therapy work for everyone. Clients save upfront on therapy while therapists earn their full rate. Get started in minutes on join.thrizer.com forward slash modern therapist and use the promo code modern therapists and receive $2,500 in waived fees for your sessions. Thanks so much to our partner, Therapy Notes, the highest rated practice management solution for behavioral health. Don't forget, using promo code MODERN gets you two free months. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 